We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Okay, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord, just to study your word together, to see the mission and the work you're doing all around the world. And in one sense, we kind of come back to our own country now. And there is, uh, there is so much going on. Lord, as we're ready to start the celebration of July 4th, maybe some people have the day off. God, I, I pray that it would almost be symbolic of the fact that there was a fight for freedom. And even now, there is a fight, Lord God, going on for spiritual freedom. Not the freedom to sin, but the freedom from sin. I do thank you for all the soldiers that spilt their blood. The families that made sacrifices, Lord, in order to provide that victory and I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us the victory as Christians. Lord, as I share today, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. And whoever hears, may they know your love and your power. And I pray that this word would fall on good ground. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I'd like to share a message today. We we just finished up First Timothy chapter six before uh, going to Cambodia, and so we'll see what the Lord does. I know that eventually we want to start Second Timothy, uh, but you know maybe this might be a, a time where we kind of do something a little out of the ordinary, and that is share a, a few topical studies, studies that I think are very relevant for us as a nation. I'd like to begin uh, the, this whole thing by, by sharing about uh, true love uh, for, you know, the LGBT community. And I'd like to begin by, by talking a little bit about the times of the past, um, this past week, even this past century. But I'm sure most of you are well aware of the things that have happened this last week regarding the gay agenda. The 5-4 to four decision from the Supreme Court of the land and the impact it's already had on our state as gay and lesbian couples immediately, though prematurely, but immediately began to get married and even now as I speak are doing so all across the state. Uh, as you know, the Supreme Court ruling shot down DOMA, that is the Defense of Marriage Act, signed into law by President Bill Clinton back in 1996 and their decision sent the Proposition 8 case back to California, essentially opening the door to same-sex marriage. And so what we find, and it's been happening, but it seems to be happening more rapidly, more exponentially, is that our country, that I believe was founded by God, is changing radically. You know, not that long ago, it was 1996 when DOMA was signed into law. Back then, only 27% of the population of this country believed in same-sex unions, that they should be recognized as valid according to the law. But in a Pew Research Center poll this last month, 
51% now support gay marriage. It's the first time it had the majority support in the history of that poll. And so now what we find is California joins 12 other states along with the District of Columbia in fully recognizing gay marriage. And we know that Minnesota is right around the corner having already signed into law the legislation of gay marriage. Uh, that begins for them August 1st of this year. And so when you include California, you know, we kind of know that basically 30% of the population of our country now lives under the banner of legalized gay marriage. We also know that 27 states have banned gay marriage either by voting into law, a constitutional amendment, or through legislature. We know that four have domestic partnerships with added protections, and then there are six states where civil unions are legal. And so that's kind of where we are now. Uh, things are changing. But what I want to do in commencing today is I want to back up just a little bit because I think it helps to know a little bit about our past in order to go forward and in order to be maybe better equipped to face the future. You know, not like psychology. Uh, psychology, what they'll do is they'll look to your past, and they'll label you, they'll give you medication, <laughs> And they'll basically tell you, you know, you're, you're kind of trapped in your past. But I always tell people the past is like a rearview mirror. It, it's there. You've got to know what's behind you. But you also have your windshield, and that is to go forward. How did we get to where we are today? You know, most Christians would probably say something like, well, we've turned our backs on God. This is sin, and they need to repent. You know, and that, that would be like counseling with a woman who's not submitting to her husband. And rather than having any type of discussion with her at all, you know, you just tell her, hey, you turn your back on God, you sin, repent. And from a technical standpoint, and some of you might do that, maybe it's effective for you, but really that, that, that's not really what we want to do, I think, from a practical standpoint. I think especially in reaching those who are really hurting because some of the people that are gay began their whole journey with wanting to kill themselves there's a lot more here than simply saying you've turned your back on god you're in sin repent i think there needs to be more of an understanding of the times of the past you know they need to know that we care for them that we hear them that we love them Love manifests itself in different ways. Correction is, yes, one way, but it's not the only way. And correction will be much, much more effective if your love is clearly articulated and demonstrated and proven in other ways. And we're going to see today, because after the study today, I was talking to different people, isolated situations, that this is something that we have on a big scale, a large scale to deal with, but it's also something that we deal with on case-by-case -case individual, you know, things that are going on. I'm sure many of you here, you have loved ones who are in this lifestyle. Let me take you down a brief journey uh, that I think it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable as Christians. 
You're like, well, I'm sitting in the soft seat. Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about, man. You know, before we rush into the issue of what our response is, I think we need to understand a little bit about the history. Although homosexuality goes back to the early stages of recorded history, those of you who read your Bible, you know it's there in the early days. You know, for us today and the effects that we see, our, our you know, whole struggle actually began in Europe in the 1860s and the 1870s where the European public administration began noticing that some people were no longer you know, revolving their life around family and church and, you know, procreation. But they began to revolve their lives around various forms of sexual pleasure. This behavior was made possible by the forces of capitalism, which is good. It has its good points, but it also has its negative aspects in that it tended to draw people away from the church, away from their families and into the cities where there was maybe no accountability, and life began to change. You know, I don't know about you. Have you guys ever seen Little House on the Prairie? I kind of like that, you know, where the, the family's there and dad's out on the farm. And, I mean, he doesn't have to ha- travel 40 miles to the metropolitan city. He's there. And, they, you know, there's the church and there's their life. But when that began to change, then everything began to change. This then trickled into our nation along with a combination of bad economics. And what happened, you guys, was at the end of World War II, thousands of gay and lesbians were dishonorably discharged from their duties because they were gay. They were dishonorably discharged to coastal cities like New York, Los Angeles, and especially San Francisco. What we find is that when they went to these cities in large quantities, sometimes literally hundreds at a time, they found others that embraced their lifestyle, again, away from the accountability of family and church. And so what happened? Well, from that point forward, moving to the 50s, organizations began. And so there was going to be this response we're going to see You know, they make a move, and it's almost like a chess game, and then, you know, we make a move. But as we're going to go through our study today, I think a lot of our moves were not spiritual moves. They were perhaps carnal moves. And and I'm not saying that, you know, these things maybe shouldn't have been done. The Lord knows He's on the throne. But you got to remember that all these political maneuvers and all these laws and legislations they are a distant second to the power of prayer and the power of a church that is under the banner of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because without that type of prayer and without that type of lordship, it doesn't matter what your politics are or your legislative laws are. But that's the way it, it kind of began. And very carnal You know, I I know that what happened in 1953, President Eisenhower issued an executive order and he listed, you know, all homosexuals uh, to be simply because they were homosexuals uh, able to be dismissed, fired from government jobs because of their sexual orientation. Now, some of you might like that. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know. Uh, So they were fired for being gay. 
this then initiated a time of struggle and they're struggling with this issue while the heterosexuals really are struggling with how to deal with the issue. And here's where I think some understanding might be productive. You know, we as heterosexuals, we don't know, you know, how to word it. Sometimes I'm not sure how to word it, but I don't know if maybe the the, the phrase not being treated, you know, fairly or, or maybe even an element of persecution might come into play you know and it's hard it's hard for us as christians you know leviticus 18:22. some christians will jump over there and they'll say well the bible says you shall not lie with a male as with a woman it's an abomination right clearly uh identifying homosexuality is abomination and then in verse 29 for whoever commits any of these abominations the person who commits them shall be killed and so i don't know if there's an element of that in the heart of the New Testament Christian, if there is, you've got to be careful because remember, that's an Old Testament law given to Israel who was a theocracy. We're now in the New Testament and, you know, the United States of America is not a theocracy. We're hopefully a democracy and a republic. And so, you know, we need to be careful to understand what our calling really is. We're not called as Christians to persecute them. We're actually called to love them. But of course, Christians were vigorously opposed to the gay lifestyle, and that's good. But the question is, how do we reach them? How do we love them? We don't compromise, but that's when things began to go in that direction. In 1968, the Reverend Troy Perry, he was a Baptist, he founded the Metropolitan Community Church, which was very influential of the day, and it grew to what it is today, the largest gay and lesbian organization in this country, and by far the largest in the South. And what happened? Other organizations began to spring up, so that by 1969, there were at least 50 homophile, identifiable organizations in our country. And so, you know, they're doing their moves, and, and, and we're doing our moves. You know, the issue, the edict by President Eisenhower lasted for 40 years. Till 1993, if you were found to be gay, you could be fired, which then, I think, in one sense, leads us to maybe even the hardest part of this whole thing, is that there have been a history of crimes committed to people who were gay all along the way. If you as a Christian suppress that information, then you won't be able to minister to them because you won't understand how we've come to where we are today and you will be doomed to repeat history if you don't learn from it. You know, serious crimes like beatings, like rapes, not just from the common citizen, but oftentimes from law enforcement. And so this was what they were facing how do we react? You know, we know in 1973, gay movement received a major victory when pressure groups succeeded in forcing the American Psychiatric Association to remove homosexuality from the list of mental illnesses. And in 1977, California had its first openly gay elected official, someone that probably makes your heart groan, Harvey Milk. He was a representative of San Francisco Supervisor District 5. The next year, 1978, California State Senator John Briggs introduced a move to prohibit homosexuals from teaching 
in California public schools, something I think that probably we as Christians are okay with, but the initiative was defeated in November after a series of debates between Briggs and Milk. Here's the thing. Less than three weeks later, Harvey Milk and the mayor of San Francisco were murdered. The man who murdered them was then given the lightest sentence possible, which then, it it stirred up a riot among the gays for the injustices that were occurring, which then brought a counter-reaction from the heterosexuals to persecute the gay community violently. See, and you kind of, I think in one sense, you kind of got to know a little bit of this history. You know, since then, through the combination of organization and legislation on their part, and I believe really a misrepresentation oftentimes on our part, gay rights have only gained momentum. We know in 1987, 650,000 people marched on Washington for their rights, for what they label the Civil Rights Demonstration. And as you know, today they march. And they march in the movies. And they march in Hollywood. And they march with the stars. And they march with a history behind them of oftentimes really, and I guess we could label it this way, a lack of love and power from the church. And so we can continue on this same road But if you care for your children and if you care for your grandchildren and the future generation, if you love this country, you know that you can't. Something has to change. Boycotts are cool. You can boycott until you're blue in the face. But if you're not praying the way that you should, then I believe in many ways, living the way that you should, in many ways, it's an insult to God because if you really care I mean boycotts are easy to do loving God and loving them that that's sometimes very difficult to do I think it's important for us to know the times of the past which then can then eventually bring us now to the truths of eternity You know, they need to know that we care. You've probably heard it said, they won't care how much you know until you know how much, until they know how much you care. I'm sure you've heard that. And so, you know, we come to that place where, okay, well, you know, I I love them. And so, so what do we do now? Well, I think that you love them in deeds, And then I think we kind of earn the right to love them in words. You know, it's interesting. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so what that principle there is, is we see Jesus loved the church died for the church, and in that process earned the right to wash the church with the water of the word. That's kind of the way it works for husbands. Husbands, are any of you guys here here today and you're thinking, man, why doesn't my wife listen to me? Any of you guys? No, I'm just joking. I want to ask you to raise your hands. (laughs) It's because you're not loving her. 
Well, I'm not saying that that's right for wives. Wives, First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, says you're supposed to submit to him anyways. But I tell you what, man, when a wife finds a husband who loves her like Jesus does, it changes everything. And that's the same thing. When it comes to you know, those that are struggling with this issue, and maybe you're here today, maybe you're listening to this study somehow, you know, you got to know that we love you, that God loves you. We want to understand you, but you, I, I pray you would also want to understand us. We as Christians are a people who are under the authority of God's word. And we love you and we care for you. And this is why we share these things with you. You know, there's a, a man, he was, uh, he's a reverend. He spoke at the presidential inauguration in January of this year uh, for President Obama. And he seems to say that, you know, that the, the whole thing about the gay agenda is kind of the same with the slavery issue. He was saying that a lot of Christians were using the Bible to support slavery and now a lot of Christians are using the Bible to support homosexuality, I mean to say that it's not right. And so he says it's the same thing. But it's not the same thing for a simple reason. And it's just sad that a minister would not be able to understand the simplicity of God's word because never in the Bible does it say that if you're a slave, you won't go to heaven. Never. But in the Bible, it does say, and we're going to read it now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, that if you're gay, you won't go to heaven. See? And that's the difference. That's a huge difference. See? And this is why we come from our perspective. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And really there in verse 9, it's male prostitutes and homosexuals. Okay, They will, nor thieves, nor, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this is a, a really big thing. You know, there might even be some of you here today who, you know, you're not, you're not gay and, and, you know, you're like, well, it doesn't really matter to me if they are. Let them do what they want to do. Let them, you know, get married. And, you know, I mean, if that's your mentality, understanding what the Bible says that they won't go to heaven, how can you say you love them? Out of the 51% that now approve gay marriage, okay, how many of them are sitting in seats just like you, compromising? Well, it's not me. Let them do what they want. And yet, that vote sends them to hell. It's not that they struggle with it. You know, they're identified as it. That's what this list is right here. They are identified as homosexuals. You know, one of the things that we find as Christians and just people is we all have like an inclination to, to sin. 
You know, I used to say this all the time. You're all jacked up. You're all jacked up. Amen? But my kids said to me, don't say that anymore, Dad. It doesn't sound good. But we're all messed up. We're, we're just, we have inclinations to sin. You know, for the men that are here today, you have an inclination, a, a, a sexual drive, that if it were just left up to your inclinations, you would have multiple women in your life enjoying sexual pleasures. But because of the conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, because of the Word of God, you as Christian men, you stay true and you take up your cross every single day in all your ways, in every way that you would even use your eyes. And you deny yourself. You know, it's still up in the air. There's no scientific evidence proving, you know, that, you know, there's this genetic, you know, difference. But you know what? Let's be honest, Christians. Sometimes we'll see a guy and he seems to have, you know, feminine characteristics. Or we'll see a gal and she has maybe a little bit more of a masculine characteristic. We see that. And so what do we say? Oh, it's not real. I don't know if that's the, really the right thing to say. I'd probably say something like, you know what? We all have our struggles. And what we do, my friend, Jesus said from the very beginning, is if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, in verse 11, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, there in Corinth, there in that church, there were people who were all these things, including male prostitutes and homosexuals. And he says, man, and some of, some of you guys used to be that way. But you're not anymore. You've been washed. You've been justified. You've been freed. You've been forgiven as you have given your life to Jesus Christ. You know, just in case you're here today and you're struggling with these things, you got to know that God will set you free. God will break the chains. You know, as you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, the one who died for you, you know, I, I, there are people, I know people in this congregation who were entrenched in this lifestyle. And you would never know it because today they serve the Lord and they have kids and they have a family. There were others, I think, who struggled even as Christians or before they were Christians. They kind of went through, you know, just different things. And if I told you who they were, and I won't, but if you would just be blown away at what God has done. you got to know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to know, number one, the Bible clearly says that homosexuals won't go to heaven. And I think it's important to know one other passage over in the book of Romans chapter 1. If you would, let's turn there.
in Romans chapter 1. We don't have time to go over this whole thing right here, but it's real interesting. Uh, Paul writes on, on really the wrath of God. The wrath of God. And, you know, he talks about, you know, just how it's revealed from heaven. How basically, if you follow the, the teaching, he says that idolatry will always lead to immorality. And that's a real simple thing for us to really get a hold of. Idolatry will always lead to immorality. Idolatry is any time you put anyone or anything before God. God must be first in our heart. Anything else, anyone else, is idolatry. You know, what gets you up out of bed? What's your master passion in life? You know, it's got to be God. It's got to be Him. If not, you're heading for trouble. That's what he's saying right there, that the idolatry led to immorality, and we should know better. We cannot plead innocence because we cannot plead ignorance. It's there written in creation. It's here written in our conscience. And so he begins to say, when you kick against the goads and you violate God's law, that you're welcoming in the wrath of God. And the interesting thing is, he begins to say that the wrath of God is manifested in what we're experiencing now, and that is blatant homosexual and lesbian behavior. Because look what it says right here. It says in verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. In other words, what Paul is, is simply saying is that part of the judgment, part of the sentence, part of the wrath, is God saying, okay, I'll let you do what you want to do. And it's kind of like he, he stopped intervening. He gave them up. And that's what we find happening in our country today. When we see the rise of this type of activity, we need to know that judgment has begun. And it's important to know that because as we go through today, we're going to see that that's the way we need to approach it. This is what's happening in our country today. We read here in Romans about God, you know, just warning us. I believe, you know, idolatry leading to immorality, leading to sexual immorality, which if not checked and repented of, will lead to what we find ourselves engaged in today. And it's hard. You know, I pray that you would know the times of the past so that there'd be a sensitivity and a love. But I also pray you would know the truths of eternity. 
the truths of eternity. Why? Because there will be a test tomorrow. There will be a test. You know, you guys remember when you were in school? Did you ever fail a test frequently? No, I'm just joking. You know, and that, you know, algebra, you know, thing maybe. Uh, I remember a terrible class I had called statistics. It was from the devil. I remember that class. And, uh, you know, English, biology, chemistry, history. You can fail those tests and, and survive. But you cannot fail this test and survive. And your faith will be tested. You know, my, my ch- I talk to my children about this. And, you know, my children are funny. Um, I tell them, son, daughter, unless there's a revival in the church, unless there's an awakening in the church, if the Lord tarries, I don't know what kind of world you're going to live in. You, you might not only be the minority of this country, if you hold to these truths, you might be the minority in the church. And there will be great pressure to compromise and apostatize. And I'm just talking to my kids and I'm trying to, to get them ready for this. Because they will be tested. You will be tested. What do you do one day if one of your kids comes up to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm gay. What do you do? I mean, I can't tell you because I did so much research on this. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I read when parents were put in that situation, when pastors and leaders were put in the situations, when they began to experience this up close and personal firsthand, where they decided then to compromise and apostatize on the truth. Why? Because now they're allowing experiences to dictate truth instead of God. And you'll be tested. And I was talking to someone earlier and they're telling me about their niece getting married. What do you do? Do you go to the wedding? I don't think so. But, you know, do you break off the relationship? Do you sever the relationship? I would be slow to do that. Doesn't mean that, you know, they go to church and they stay in church and the church doesn't do anything about it. We give them time. But, you know, when it comes to relationships, it's hard. You know, Christians, a lot of times, they, they avoid, they run. They run away when a lot of times God calls you to run to them. What we find, you guys, is there's so much going on, and we need to be ready for the truths of tomorrow. You know, it's interesting. I was reading one article of a man who's gay, and he, you know, adopted a, a child and uh and this man who's openly gay now openly opposes gay marriage what happened was uh he adopted a child and his conclusion after the whole experience was that children need a mom and a dad and that marriage is ultimately putting the needs of the children before the desires of the d- adults he said in his article that there are perhaps 100 different things, small and large, that are negotiated between parents and kids every week. 
moms and dads interact differently with their children. And so to give a kid two moms or simply two dads is to withhold from them someone whom they desperately need and deserve in order to be whole and happy. You know, the man went on to say that it wasn't religion or tradition that brought him to this conclusion. It was reason. You see, the simple truth is this. Fathers do not mother. And mothers do not father. And in, in, in the reason of life, and according to the scriptures, we need to fight for what's right in God's sight. You know, I'm sure you're well aware of the fact that Hollywood has been absolutely and probably the most powerfully instrumental in desensitizing and destroying our society. And so, you know, you got to watch what you're watching and what your children are watching. There is an agenda of the prince of the power of the air who now works in the sons of disobedience. How crazy it would be to unleash your children to these things on the web or on television or in movies because it's inundated there. We've come a long way from shows like Father Knows Best, huh? We really have. Or even the Cosbys, man. You know, the growing opinion today is that there's no need for a father. And they're shoving that down our children's throat. You know, for some of you people here today, I want to speak maybe now to the younger people. You know, when I say younger, um, 20s, teenagers. For you, you've been hearing the contrary opinion for so long, a lot of times it's hard for you to accept what the scriptures say. But you got to make a choice. Do you serve God or man? Do you serve God or do you serve yourself? You know, I heard of one show out there spearheaded by Jennifer Lopez. It's called The Fosters. And this show is about an interracial married lesbian couple raising three biological children, one adopted child, and then you had to that, Fosters. And so it's interesting that this air, this show airs on the ABC Family Network. And, you know, I don't watch a lot of television. I'm sure you guys, because I know how bad you are. No, I'm just joking. You guys could tell me about a lot of shows. Oh, yeah, there's a gay person and that one, a gay person. And that is one that all revolves around whatever, the gay. And it's just, it's just crazy, huh? I even heard about one cartoon show. Have you guys heard of that one cartoon show? It's called She's Out. And it's a gender-bending new cartoon about a 12-year-old boy who turns into a female superhero, right? You think there's a message there for the kids? Absolutely. It's there on your television. And it's there in the schools. Right? What are you going to do? I even heard about Bert and Ernie. The rumors are on Sesame Street. It's crazy. And so what do we need to do? We need to, we need to embrace ourselves. And we are now at this crit- critical juncture in history, where to me, I liken it to Esther. You know, and there's the, the plan, you know, of the enemy, Mordecai, I mean Haman, and he wants to destroy the Jews. He just wants to annihilate them. And so Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, he sends a message to her and he says, you know, you're, you're there, 
for a time as this. You're there to intervene at this critical juncture of history. And we are here. We're alive. We're here at this critical juncture of history. The question is, and you know, Mordecai said, the question is, will you do what you got to do? Will you go into the presence of the king? Which is exactly, which is exactly what God is calling us to do now. You know, we see the times of the past. We see the truths of eternity. We'll see the tests of tomorrow. But let me just close with the transformation of today with a passage in Second Chronicles chapter 7. And I want to begin reading in verse 13. Second Chronicles chapter 7. The Lord is speaking to Solomon. He said, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. In other words, God is saying in verse 13, When I judge the land, which is what's happening today, God said, when, when I do these things, here it is, the promise, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Someone might say, well, that's God speaking to Israel. No, that's God speaking to his people. My people who are called by my name. How many of you here today are Christians? You're called after the name of Christ. If my people who are called by my name. He says, you know, basically two things. And I, and I think when you put it together, it's two things. If they, if they, if they really pray... You know, they, they humble themselves, they pray, they seek God's face, they really pray, not just, you know, superficial, you know, wannabe, routine, mundane, repetitious prayers, but where they humble themselves and seek God's face, pray and, and obey. They turn from their wicked ways. He says, then, then I'll, I'll hear. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal the land. And so, you know, God is, is telling us what we need to do. Like Esther needed to go into the presence of the king. We need to go into the presence of the king. We need to pray like never before. We need to pray, not just for five, ten minutes. We need to pray for hours. We need to pray for days. We need to pray for, you know, 
those all-night prayer meetings. We need to make sure that, you know, yeah, politics are cool and we're doing that, but man, you got to understand the devil laughs at politics without prayer. Legislation is great and laws are cool, but the devil laughs at legislation and laws without a church under the lordship of Jesus Christ and in love with God and these people. If you're here today and you're living in sin, you're here today and you're, you're, you're living together and you're not even married, I mean, how is God going to hear your prayers? How is God going to bless your children? You know, you're living here today and there might be some here today that, you know, you're, you're getting high, you're having sex, you're doing drugs, you're filled with pride. You're self-righteous. Man, I mean, you name it. There are sins that have gripped people's hearts that have made the heavens brass. And what God's saying is that, listen, if, if you want to see a great movement in this critical time, you've got to really, really pray and you've got to really, really obey. Do those other things. That's cool. And we need to, man. We need to infiltrate the world that we live in. We need to be salt in the earth and light in the darkness. I pray that some of you will be judges in the land and Supreme Court and president and, you know, all those types of things. You go make some really good movies and just however it is, you know, don't, you know, put yourself in your Christian cubby hole. Follow God and the calling he has on your life. But understand that, the, the heart of our healing is going to be a people of prayer. A people who choose to pray and obey. And that's got to be our heart, you guys. We want God to move in a mighty way. We want to make sure that we learn from the past, that we love these people. You know, and, and, and I just really encourage you guys, man, ask the Lord. You know, as you deal with those individual situations, and, and I think in one sense looking at it from a big overall perspective is very similar to looking at it in the individual perspective as well. Pray. Pray for them. And ask God for what we might call divine details on how we can reach them, to really convince them know, know, that they would know that we love them. But man, we got a fight ahead of us. We really do. And so, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your love, your grace in our life. Oh, Father, there's so much going on in our nation, Lord. There is a fight. We, we can't lay down, but we can't rise up with carnal weapons. Lord, give us a heart and a conviction to call prayer meetings with our friends and to attend prayer meetings at church and to to pray individually in our closet, in our quiet time, like we really care about this country, about our family. And Lord, give us that heart as a church to obey you, to really just everything, anything that is not right in your sight, God, 
I pray you help us to surrender those areas of our life to you. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, Lord. Maybe they're even struggling with this particular sin. Uh, I don't know, Lord. I know you know. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that even now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, they would yield their life to Jesus Christ. We thank you and we love you. And we pray these things from our heart. And we pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.